How's it going, everyone? My name is Scott Bennett, and welcome to the Third Decade Podcast. If you have listened to any of the podcasts before, first of all, thank you. Second of all, you probably noticed we stepped up our game a little bit. We have some official music, and the audio quality is a little bit better. So hopefully this helps in listening and being able to understand myself and the guests a little bit better as well. So thanks to Nikki and the team for helping with that and getting us a little bit more professional. We're learning on the fly here. Today, I'm going to talk with Kyle Larson. Kyle is a mentor with The Third Decade, so somebody listening might have worked with him before. He is also in his day job an associate advisor at TCI Wealth, meaning his job, he is on track to being an advisor and also takes on clients of his own. He does a ton of research and looking. He's somebody that uh, I'm pretty close with personally, as we both studied for the CFP together and kind of went through before I came over to the third decade, him and I were working really, really closely together doing a lot of research for advisors. He's somebody who really likes some of the more technical aspects of the financial planning world. So I wanted to talk with him about an issue that is a little bit more technical, which is mutual funds and ETFs. So mutual funds are something that we talk about pretty regularly in our class. And most of our participants are investing in based on their financial plans and seeing things. Uh, We talk about target date mutual funds and things like that. The ease of access, the low expenses, and really your ability to invest in the entire world market through one or a couple funds is pretty amazing. And mutual funds is the reason we're able to do that. And it's why we spend so much time in class on them. So ETFs stand for exchange traded funds, and they are the close relative of mutual funds, but have a few different qualities um, than mutual funds and act like individual stocks in some ways. So with that, there's a little bit more complexity to ETF investing than mutual fund investing, but we dive into that. They are gaining popularity. There are more and more of them entering the space which we think is a good thing. There's driving down costs. There's more access uh, to either mutual funds or ETFs. And that's great. So we just wanted to spend a little bit of time today diving into mutual funds and ETFs, some of the differences between the two, and spending some time on a, on a little bit of a more technical episode here, drilling into some of the content of our curriculum. So here's my conversation with Kyle Larson. I hope you all enjoy. So how's it going, Kyle? Hey, Scott. Thanks for coming on and joining us. Really excited to talk with you about a topic we don't get to spend a lot of time on. You know, ETFs are really growing and important in in the financial services sector. And it's something that some of our participants are asking on, definitely the ones who are more into investing and stuff like that as a whole, but but not many even know too much about. So we we obviously go over the basics of investing in the third decade course. And explain how mutual funds are basically baskets of stocks or securities, and they put them together in a cost-efficient way that mm-hmm. allows the everyday investor right, to, to participate in owning a huge sector or even the whole market. Mm-hmm. Can you explain at a high level what ETFs are and how they're both similar and different from mutual funds? Yeah, definitely. So starting with ETFs, so kind of breaking down the name. So ETF stands for an exchange traded fund. 
biggest components there, number one, exchange traded. So um, just like a stock on any type of stock exchange, like the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, an ETF, you can buy and sell through an exchange at any time during the day. So mm-hmm. very similar to buying a stock. It's just a basket of stocks, if you will. And then fund. So very similar to a mutual fund, as you just described, it's essentially a professionally managed vehicle or basket of securities that are comprised within a single fund. So that's kind of the similarity of an, of an ETF and a mutual fund. And the fact that they're both funds, they just trade a little bit differently. Got it. Got it. You're right. Because mutual funds, you you cannot, what what is known in the in- industry is intraday trading, right? You get at the end of the day, that mutual fund price is set. Uh, ETFs, you're saying, are throughout the day, the price changes minute by minute, basically, correct? Correct. Yes. That, that would probably be one of the, the biggest differences between ETFs and mutual funds. So the biggest similarity, again, is that there it's a professionally managed kind of collection of securities, whether that be stocks or bonds or some combination of stocks and bonds. Um, but when you can buy and sell is the big difference. So ETFs, like individual stocks, have real-time pricing or intraday trading, as you called it. So mm-hmm. during the day, I could, when the stock market opens, I could buy and sell an ETF at 8 in the morning, at 9.30, at 11, and get it at that exact price. However, mutual funds price once per day at market close, which is typically 4 p.m. Eastern time. So with a mutual fund, I could sell it at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., or noon, and I'm going to get the exact same price. So that kind of leads into different strategies, if you will, between the two different products. But mm-hmm. the time, the timing of the trading is kind of one of the biggest differences between the two products. Yeah, that makes sense. So which, which came first, do you know? Was, was the mutual fund around first or were ETFs? That's a great question. I would assume, I would think that the mutual fund came first, but I'm actually not sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm think you're right there as well. But yeah, it, it seems like um, ETFs were were kind of a response to mutual funds to say, okay, we want we want some of the qualities of intraday trading with being able to own this basket as well. So most of the mutual funds that we deal with at the third decade, and we we talk with our participants about, are passive index funds, meaning that you 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 said it before. You have a, a fund manager who's kind of managing who or what goes into that fund. However, with passive funds, that manager's job becomes a lot easier because they're just following an index. They're saying, I'm just trying to keep up with this index and following whatever is in it. So S&P 500 uh, index mutual fund just owns all of the companies within the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. So I know that there are also active funds, which means higher fees, meaning somebody's actively picking and choosing. Um, are, Are there both passive and active ETFs as well? Yeah, there are. So going back on a point you just mentioned, so the the biggest benefit of ETFs and mutual funds are really it's a it's a it's a simplified way or a way more convenient a, approach to diversifying your portfolio. So instead of yeah. having to go out and buy hundreds or thousands of different stocks or different municipal bonds or whatever it may be, you can buy one fund that holds all of these different securities that's being professionally managed by a manager who knows what's going on for a you know a relatively low cost. So that's the huge right. benefit of them both. But but distinguishing active versus passive. So there's 
I would say there's definitely a higher proportion or a higher number of active mutual funds than there are active ETFs. I think active ETFs are a relatively new phenomenon, but essentially the difference there being is that with this passive or index-like approach, um, the professional manager is trying to mimic an index. So kind of the, the basic one is if you're trying to mimic the Dow Jones or the S&P 500, some U.S. large cap index, an index manager is building a fund that looks identical to that to capture said market return. Right. Um, an active manager, whether it be in a mutual fund space or the ETF space, is trying to beat the market. So whether it be through uh, security selection, timing of the market, um, leveraging accounts, um, margining accounts, whatever it may be, they're basically trying to use some sort of analysis to say that they know something before somebody else does. They have knowledge that somebody else does that they can use to outsource the general population. And typically it's been shown that over long time periods, you cannot consistently do that. Right. Um, but those people that are looking for those active funds, I, I think they're, they're kind of enamored by potentially higher returns in the short term. Evidence really shows, though, that on, over the long term, the, the low cost, low turnover, kind of disciplined, passive approach kind of lends to higher dividends, higher growth over time. But sure. more questions, more specifically, there are active and passive ETFs. Um, it's really just going to be based on sort of what your investment philosophy is. Definitely, definitely. And I, I want to go back a little bit there because you touched on a few few terms that I think are one step kind of further than we get into in terms of, of the third decade. Leveraging other funds, buying on margin is yeah. one. Can you just explain those really, really briefly in the best way um, as, as so people kind of get what they mean? They don't fall into the passive space that we usually right. talk in. So we usually don't talk about them very much. Yeah, it's really, a, I mean, the best way to put it, it's, it's somewhat speculative, I guess, a little bit more aggressive. So I, I would kind of compare it to like a double-edged sword, for example. So there's there's two different ways you can use margin. The, there's the, the kind of safe short-term bridge loan way, which is where you have a basket of securities in a, whether it be mutual funds, ETFs, in a taxable type of brokerage account, and you can basically leverage those securities. So similar to when you're um, kind of taking out a home equity line of credit on your home and the equity mm -hmm. home is collateral to back the loan in case you default, essentially the securities or the holdings in your account are serving as collateral for what you're borrowing against the account. So it's a good sure. short-term way to borrow money that you're going to pay back over time at whatever the applicable interest rate at the time is. Typically, sure. when you hear leverage or margin, what you hear is that people will have Let's say you have $100,000 in an account and then you want to really go all in on a stock or a mutual fund because you think it's going to outperform and do really well. You can actually use excess borrowing power in your account. So yep. basically, you could buy $150,000 worth of stock using the 100000 of cash you have in there to kind of leverage it and basically take out additional debt to double down to an extent. The problem with doing that, obviously, is you're taking a huge risk. There's a positive risk, but there's also a, a big downside risk that yeah. if, if the downside risk is that if, they, if the holdings underperform significantly, you still have to repay the debt you took out, yet the value of your securities are significantly less. So you're basically going to have to inject a whole lot more capital to cover the, the loan that you now have. Right. 
Right. That, that makes sense. And, and you, you said it, you touched on it a little bit before, but it's so much more of a speculative strategy because in that, in that sense that you just went into on, on borrowing on margin, not only do you have to say, okay, I, I have an idea that this X stock is going to outperform or even X mutual fund is going to outperform mm-hmm. the market as a whole. Not only do you have to know that or think you know that that's going to happen. You have to know when it's going to happen and that it will happen in a time before they, what's called call your margin, meaning they're yep. saying, Hey, you borrowed money. We need that money back. Yep. And if, if your stock didn't perform the way you thought it did, like you said, you have to sell off. So I just wanted to, to double back a little bit there and explain kind of what, what you were saying there, because, and it, and it leads into my next question on ETFs. One of the reasons of the third decade that we we talk about ETFs are becoming more and more popular and more an industry standard. And so we want to keep, you know, educating on them and stuff. But mechanically, they are a little bit harder to work with within the third decade. Now, as, as as our participants have to manage all of their money themselves. So can you touch on a little bit kind of the mechanics of, of ETF investing? You said with intraday trading. Um, that that adds a little bit more uh, to the process, correct? Yeah, um, I think one of the things to point out is when you're just getting started as an investor, you mean the, the goal is to really minimize your expenses, minimize your transaction costs. That means uh, minimizing trading costs, things like that. Um, one of the benefits of ETFs, and it's getting a little bit better with different share classes of mutual funds, um, is that there's typically a lower investment minimum with ETFs. So mm-hmm. sometimes if you're just getting started and you have like a thousand or two thousand dollars. Some of these mutual funds that have really low expenses, there's like a five thousand dollar minimum, so you can't even meet that, which that's kind of a pain. Um, so the ETF provides you a different option to get the same market exposure with a lower minimum. So I think that's a good, a very good reason to use ETFs to get started. But I think, I mean, it just Finance is so like emotional and investing is so emotional that being able to trade intraday at any given second, I think really drives people to kind of want to like try to get things perfect. And what you realize over time is that if you're, if you're taking that approach, you're taking a very short term, somewhat narrow minded approach, as opposed to looking in the long term. Um, I think sometimes we let perfect be the enemy of good when it comes to trading. We'll trade something at $30 a share. And then it'll go up to 35 and it's like, wow, I should have waited. But it's like, in hindsight, you would have never known that. So sometimes right. you get in your own head a little bit with this ETF trading. I think that the single uh, pricing of mutual funds makes it so you can, you're basically making an investment decision that's best for you given the circumstances. And you kind of live with the price you got on that day and you're kind of okay with it. Um, right. But I would say, going back to your question, I don't, it's not like there's a, too much additional complexity with ETFs. Um, if you're putting in like um, monthly installments of contributions or money, things like that, when you're trying to automatically set up an investment plan where hypothetically I'm putting in $500 a month to this particular mutual fund, it's a lot easier to do that with mutual funds than it is with ETFs. Mm-hmm. Simply because with mutual funds, they price once per day. You can move money from your bank account into, into your, your taxable account, for example, buy a mutual fund, you're done. Um, with ETFs, it's, it's a similar process, but then again, there's there's real-time pricing. So you may not capitalize on exactly what you're trying to get. It's just a little more difficult. Um, you know, Comparing those two options though to active investing, I think either one's pretty good. 
Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, we're talking uh, two investment vehicles that given all other alternatives are really, really good. And it's, uh, you said it before, uh, great can sometimes be the enemy of good. Um, and when you're trying to make the perfect plan, which we talk about that doesn't exist, things change, stuff happens. Um, having, you know, mutual funds, or ETFs passively invested in keeping your costs down are going to be good. Your point, though, I really liked your point of, you know, just almost the the emotional draw to having an uh, investing in a vehicle that allows you to do intraday trading mm-hmm. kind of uh, kind of can can be a temptation some people don't really want to mess with. Like if if you're under the the assumption I'm going to set it and forget it, and not even thinking about it, that could help. Another ease that we talk about um, and we, we see a lot with our participants in terms of investing are target date funds, right? So for, yeah. for anybody listening who isn't aware, target date fund is basically, it is a mutual fund um, that uh, a, a manager is managing, like we said before. However, they're getting less and less aggressive over time. So for the 25-year-old in the third decade program, a 2065 target date fund 45 years down the road is, is going to be invested primarily in stocks and get less and less aggressive into bonds as you go on. Those in our eyes are the ultimate ease of access. You don't have to worry about rebalancing, getting less aggressive as you go on. Those are the the ultimate set it and forget it. And for a lot of our participants, that makes a lot of sense because you take out a lot of the variability of having to rebalance your portfolio and things like that. Are there, do you know, Kyle, if there are target date, ETFs? Um, I don't believe there are. Um, I haven't seen one actually. A point I would touch on though that you hit on, which is really good, is target date funds are, are really beneficial, especially for the um, I guess unsophisticated, maybe that's not the best word, or the in, the introductory investor, because it's really an ease of simplicity. It's convenient. You basically set it and forget it. So it yeah. can you from having to remember to put money to you know, rebalance your portfolio or go look at it weekly, which I mean, I know from sitting in this class and I tell all of my clients, you don't want to look at it weekly. You don't want to even look at your portfolio ever. Just set it up and let it go and let it do its thing. So yeah. target date fund is nice because you put it on this set glide scale. And essentially as a 25 or 30 year old investor, it's going to stay in aggressively invested for, you know, 15 to 20 years. And then over time, incrementally become more conservative you know, as your portfolio becomes more complex, it may make sense to kind of divest into something that's more, that uses more funds as opposed to one. But I would tell you getting started, it's one of the best options because you just, you set money in it and you can, you can actively monthly, bi-weekly put money into it, keep contributing and just let it do its thing. You maintain market exposure. You don't have to worry about it. Sure. Sure. To your ETF question, I don't think there are any target date ETFs. There's one of the other options it's kind of target date like, I would say, with mutual funds. Is there's these things called lifestyle or life strategy funds? Yep. Which are simply like a target date fund, except they don't they don't glide scale over time. So essentially, mm. it's a, it's an asset allocation fund. So one fund usually buys four other funds. It's like a fund of funds. So you'll have like a set eighty twenty, so eighty percent stock, twenty percent bond, or a sixty forty or a fifty fifty allocation. Yeah. You're building essentially a portfolio within one fund, which when you're building assets, you're minimizing trade costs by buying one fund. So that's yep. typically why we recommend that. Yeah, and it, and, and it 
touches as well on the ease thing. I mean, you, you just said it yourself, buying one fund to buy four funds. And within all of those four funds, there are thousands of other securities within them. It's really the beauty of how investing has changed mm-hmm. um, over, you know, it, and it's a relatively newer development. I mean, it's it, it's been around for a while now, but in, in the history of of, you know, the world financial markets, mutual funds, ETFs, baskets of of securities that you can buy at a relatively low cost just weren't available to the general public. Now people have that ability. Yeah. One thing to be cautious of too is all target date funds are not alike. So you need to be cautious that I can tell you, if you compare a, I'm just throwing these out, not saying that they're good or bad, but if you buy a Vanguard 2040 target date fund and you bought a T row price 2040 target date fund and you bought a Fidelity target date fund 2040, they're going to be different. So be very different. It says 2040, if you look at different custodians, that doesn't mean it's going to have like exactly a certain percentage of equity and exactly a certain percentage of bonds or fixed income. You need right. to really make sure you're doing your due diligence, which I know the third decade talks a lot about. Right. Specifically, number one, what's the cost? Two, what's the portfolio look like? But three, how many how many funds or mutual funds does it actually hold? Mm-hmm. That's I think one of the one of the misconceptions. Just because you're buying a mutual fund or an ETF doesn't necessarily mean it's diversified. I mean, there's mutual funds out there that hold 30 stocks. Sure. It's like, well, that didn't really, I mean, it's better than buying one stock, but I'm looking for a mutual fund that holds 1,500 to 2,000 stocks. Right. So you really got to make sure you're doing your due diligence, which I know the third decade prepares people for. But the cautionary thing here is make not all funds are alike. That's, yeah. Out there. Such a, such a good point. You know, not only that, sometimes I'll go, you know, you, you don't necessarily look at the the date isn't what's making your decision. Of course, you're going to invest in that fund. It's the allocation of that fund and their glide path, especially with with target date funds. So if if you you said there there's tons of of variance in them, and expense is usually the one that that you can look at the easiest and know which one you want to look at. If you're investing in a target date fund and you see one has, you know, a 0.25% expense ratio and then another one has a one and a half percent expense ratio. That that should tell you a lot there of what, what you need to know, especially when you start diving into what securities they invest in and everything. Typically if they're an index fund, they're going to be investing in close to the same thing. Yeah. And you want to be cautious. You don't necessarily want to go look at the performance of funds over one th- and three year time periods and say, this one did better than this one. So I'm going to buy into this. You always got to remember to your point, you want to look at expense ratios, make sure there's no load on funds because you don't want to get giving away money for no reason. makes no sense. Yeah. Can um, you, can you pause right there and, and explain load a little bit? Because that's something we don't dive in too much, but it is, it is important because they, they're getting more and more rare luckily, but they are still out there. Yeah. So loads essentially are, there's, there's a number of different types. So specifically relating to share classes. So you may, with mutual funds, there's A type shares, there's B type shares, there's C, maybe C class, maybe called classes, but essentially it just, it's, it's a different methodology of charging you for buying into a fund. So A class shares, it's an, it's a front end load. So typically you'll see it's 5.75 or 5.25%. So essentially, if you put you know ten thousand dollars into a fund, they take five point seven five percent of it right off the top, and only put in the ninety five percent whatever that's left over into the fund. So you have to pay just to buy in, which is like <laughs> it's no sense. It's bizarre. Like yeah. what? 
And then yeah. you have the B class shares where it's a back end load. So they do the exact same thing when you sell it later. So you think, oh, I got all my money in, and then you try to sell it and they take it from you later. It's even worse. Yeah. Yeah. And then the B class, which is probably the absolute worst if you hold it for a long time, kind of charges you year in, year out every time. So loads are essentially an, uh, an extra fee. So there's your expense ratio, which you pay annually. It's to pay the professional manager of the fund which we want to minimize those. So those are inherent. You can't really eliminate them, but you can minimize them. But the loads, if there, if a fund has a load, you probably just want to pass on it. There's yeah, never run away. Said, this, this fund has a 5.75% load. Oh, it's just, it's just outperforming everything else I got. Like no one's ever said that. So yeah. if there's a load, just avoid it. Um, it's one of those costs that you can eliminate, not minimize. Loads right. are the big one. Yeah, that's a, such a good point. And I think we don't touch on them because we're touching on index funds. Usually you see loads in, in the more active funds because yeah. they, again, have to pay somebody a lot of money to say this uh, industry or this stock is going to outperform the other uh, the cool. others and picking and choosing in that. So cool. Well, Kyle, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. Again, we don't get to dive into this stuff nearly as much as we want to in our courses. And some participants like it and they like to talk about it. If that's the case, I would I would advise everybody out there to talk with their mentor, ask some questions. Your mentor might not know, but if a mentor doesn't know, that doesn't mean you can't ask it. They'll they'll be able to reach out and find out. Not all of our mentors are CFP and they're not acting as advisors for you, but we want to help you in your educational journey, help you understand this stuff if you're interested in it. And if you're not, if what we just talked about went right over your head, that's completely okay too. We we get that. It's a big reason we have the program is there's a lot of complexity when you get into the weeds of financial services. And the fact of the matter is you can avoid a lot of that and still have a really, really, really good solid plan. 100%. We will talk to you again soon, I'm sure. And thanks for all the work you do with the third decade. Thank you to everybody for listening. I hope you were able to learn something there that you might not have known before. If you have any questions about ETFs, there's quite a lot of information online about them. Make sure you're looking at index ETFs like we touched on, or you can talk to your financial mentor about them if you think that might be something you want to integrate into your own portfolio. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. 